So we have been uh, doing a series on a fight club. And uh, today's message is called The Uphill Battle. And the reason why I can preach this quick is because we kind of already did it in actions. But I want to solidify it uh, around the communion table. So that means that we get to listen quick and follow through with it. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes it is... um, Sometimes life takes us in these situations that focus, that hit us up from outside, but really the battle is on the inside. The battle is on the inside. Psalm 32, verses 1 to 7. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Um, that sounds really um, down, doesn't it? But the thing is, is that if you look at the scripture verse, the scripture passage is written by David, and this is what a lot of commentators say. It's one of his penitent psalms, meaning it kind of aligns itself with Psalm fifty-one, and. Um, in that psalm, we often accustom or portray it to uh, what happened, his sin with Bathsheba. And so you have to understand that this is not necessarily bad, a bad psalm. It's really a good one because he says, how happy, how happy And fulfilled are those whose rebellion has been forgiven, whose sins are covered by blood. How blessed and relieved are those who have confessed their corruption to God, for he wipes their slates clean and removes hypocrisy from their hearts. Then he describes what happened before. He says, before I confess my sins. I kept it all inside. And that's the description of the uphill battle, the inward battle. You see, in the kingdom, remaining silent about our sin destroys us from the inside out. I don't know if you agree with me, but I've... I've been doing ministry for 34 years. And 
just when I think that I've seen it all, <laughs> I haven't seen it all. And sometimes I, I begin to wonder. I begin to wonder. The people of God know the greatest gift that has been given to them in being forgiven of their sin. Yet when I, in this particular setting, I remember going to a home late at night after 12 o'clock in the morning, and I had just been called by the husband, and he said, could you please come over? The police have just left, and we need you to come over because we have been fighting. And as I'm going to the home that evening, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to at Christian's home that they have fought so bad that the police had to come? Where's Jesus in this? I'm going to be careful because I don't want, I know that when, if I talk like this, I'm going to step on somebody's toes and I'm, they're going to think I'm talking about them. And I want to let you know is I'm not talking about you. Okay? But I have enough stories in my particular handbag that will cover a multitude of people in this room. And I'm not going to single anybody out, but I want, I want you to understand is that uh, as a pastor, when you give your heart and life to people and you see them struggle and sin and caca on their lives, it, it's It's hard. You begin to go, what? You be, it's sometimes you go, well, is it me? <laughs> no, it can't be me. Um, I, and so there's this, but you see, before it ever gets to that point, it's already been happening on the inside. And you see, it is my job as a pastor to point out that the what's happening on the inside, if you don't deal with it now, I will have to deal with it later. And quite frankly, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of dealing with that later stuff. Because when it's later, it's a whole lot of mess to try to clean up. And oftentimes, what I find is people are at that point wanting me to fix it instantly. When it's been going on in, your, in the inward struggle of your heart for months, years. And you know what? It, doesn't, it's, it takes a longer time to... I can't, I can't wave a magic wand and go, cha-ching, you're fixed. I wish that was the case. That would save my job a whole lot of time. But, but we have to realize is that there is a struggle that is taking place 
in and through our lives, and we have to understand that. And I guess what, what ticks me off is that we don't have to do that. You see, sin destroys, it, it perverts our conscience and makes us unable to recognize our own need. The psalmist goes up and goes, continues to say that I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. You see, that's the point. Is that if we allow the struggle to continue to have its place in our lives, it creates more and more problems. When you and I have got the greatest gift possible, and that is it has no dominion over you. But we allow it to have seed. We sow it. We give it water. We give it food. We allow it to bring forth in our lives. And then we come in such a dichotomy of life that we have to choose. We have to choose that which we've given birth to or we have to get rid of it. And it's a lot more painful then. And do you wonder why sometimes in the Christian circles there are people that make stupid mistakes? And you think they should know better. <laughs> yep. The, the fact is, is that when that is taking place, they've, they've so... They've so brought two worlds. They're so holding on to two worlds that it, it comes to a point where they can't no longer exist in the same place anymore. And then what is happening on the inside comes out on the outside. And you know what's really scurry is we begin to justify the wrong decisions on the outside in our belief systems. Because what happens is, you know, if you, if you, what, when that inward struggle begins to now manifest itself in the flesh and in actions, you now have a decision to make. Do you truly believe what you believe as a Christian or do you have to change your beliefs in order to match your behavior? And too many Christians are doing the latter. Some, not too many. I, should, I, I, I don't know the numbers, so I have to be careful about how to say that, but I want to say is that what happens is we, there's too many people go when they get to that point and they've made the decision to now 
bl blow up their lives, they now have to reconcile their beliefs to their actions. And the funny thing is, is that that's doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Because what's been birthed on the inside, as it begins to manifest on the outside, and then you begin to change your beliefs, your beliefs go all screwy. Because they now have to start, because you can't live in an incongruent life where you've believed one thing and you're doing another. There's the hypocrisy. You have to begin to now change your beliefs in order to match how you're living. And there's some pretty messed up lives today when they've grown up in the church or they've grown up knowing what Jesus can do and what he has done. Now, I sound like I'm preaching to the, to the converted. But I want to go back to the beginning. And I want to say this. We do not confess sin so that God can forgive us, may forgive us, we confess sin so that we can truly understand and receive forgiveness. Did you hear me? We do not confess sin so that God may forgive us. We confess sin so that we can truly understand and receive our forgiveness. Without confession, we are forgiven people trapped in the prison of our own perception. says, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. It is an uphill battle to be humble and repentant before God. It is an uphill battle to be humble and repentant before God. It's easier to make him into our own image than to submit ourselves to him. Moments of prayer and worship are meant to make us uncomfortable with our known compromises. God will convict you of the wrongs you don't notice. But you will have to be open about the wrongs you do notice. Hypocrisy does not start with what I do. It starts with what I say I believe, but do not practice. Did you hear me? Hypocrisy does not start with, start with what I do. It starts with what I say I believe, but do not practice. The point of what we just went through is that we were, we, God was calling us to confess. Why? So that we can be humble and bring confession and allow his, and to understand the forgiveness that he has accomplished and done on our behalf. 
Why do you think when people confess their sins, they feel they haven't, they haven't faced the consequences, but once the, the ball, the thing has been let out of the, the, the stuff has been let out, they feel a little bit relieved. Why? Because there's been confession. Church, this is going to get better as I get going here, okay? I'm trying to be fast. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 18, Isaiah says this, and this is another one of our scripture passages for the day. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. I know I said I was going to get it better. This doesn't sound very good, does it? I just, called, I just talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. I thought, yeah, it's going to get better. No, I'm talking about Sodom. Okay, I thought that was funny. Okay, anyway. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of, of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Still, that doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? The point of this passage is that one of the ways we avoid talking to God about our shortcomings is that we increase our sacrifices in ways he didn't ask for. You see, the inward battle is, is that as soon as I'm in, in struggle and in contrary to what my belief system is, instead of dealing with that, I do other things that I know that we think God will be happy with, and we try to even the slate out. We try to bring balance to the books. It's funny, we tried that, but... I guess I want to ask, does that work? You see, what that really is is falling into a habit of moral, uh, moral licensing where we try to balance the scale of our lives. We do good to make up for the evil deeds we don't want to change just yet. Isaiah continues on and says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make, my prayer, make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Again, sorry, I'm not trying to be more, I guess what I'm trying, I'm trying to point this really bad picture so that we can get where I'm coming from. Once you become comfortable with compromise, the presence of God is invisible to you. When you get to the point where you are now trying to balance the books and it continues, you begin to not know where the presence of God is. And sometimes you don't even want to be where he is.
He is ultimately, he's ultimately with you, but he consents to your hypocrisy. That's why Jesus called the hyper-religious Pharisees who were putting unfair burdens on people trying to follow God. He called them the blind, leading the blind. They cannot find God anymore, but they have no idea what they've even, what even lost him. But Isaiah gives gives the solution. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead for the widow's cause. What is he saying? He's saying serving people who are suffering under life's injustices as a way of making us uncomfortable with our own compromise. We aren't paying for our sins, but we are being cleaned by going back to the basics of our faith. Come now, he says, let us reason together. As it says to the Lord, your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord Jesus has, the Lord has spoken. We either want to run from his presence or pretend in his presence. And I want to let you know is God refuses both. He actually wants to enter into conversation with us about our own choices. Our bad behavior cannot cause God to forget who you are. But until we're willing to confess our sins, God is unable to convince you otherwise. It's an uphill battle Because as we ascend the hill of the Lord, we become more aware of our shortcomings in the light of his glory. What that means is, as I get closer to him, I realize how much I'm not able to go there on my own. I realize who he is, what he's done. And guess what? What I do isn't, I can't do enough in order to get into his presence. And we realize the things that we're doing aren't helping. God desires for us to be honest about our sin and our compromise with him. The only way to fix yourself is by the way of the sword. It means, instead of saying, I don't need God to make my life, or I will make my own identity and destiny, it 
See, that's what happens. When we, we go through the struggle of the uphill battle, we get to the point where we are in a dichotomy and we finally act on those things and we become into that, that battle, the, the situation where all of a sudden we're now justifying our wrong behavior by our beliefs. It's now, uh, then we begin to go, well, if, if I just do better, if I can just... That's why we have so many different self-help books that tell us, well, if... You know, if you do this, you're going to be a success. You're going to get, make this amount of money. You're going to deal with the things that are wrong in your life. But self-help is wonderful at first, but when it isn't in, informed by God's identity, that same self-focus initially that would help and inspire you ends up judging and condemning and destroying you. I'm describing a battle that takes place in everyone's lives in this room. Well, I'm not like such and such. I know someone who's doing this, that, and the other thing. I'm better than that. Be careful. God loves you so much that he gave his son to die on a cross and to take away all of your sin. He reconciled you to himself by his own sacrifice. I've come to the understanding and here's where the good part is. I, I, I took out my, my Bible and uh, I put the word sin in it. I'm going to search about sin. I guess I want to read to you what it says in Romans chapter 6. So what, do we, so what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him, so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted, permanently grafted, permanently grafted, not optionally grafted, permanently grafted, into him to experience a resurrection like this and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer? 
that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power. For we who were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we could not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrected life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once and for all, but he now lives continually, continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus and anointed one. What am I saying? I'm going to get serious now. I've pointed out a very difficult situation with life when we begin to allow the seedbed of sin. And when we give it more license, more opportunity, we allow it to come to a head where we have to then begin to walk in its power. Not so with the people of God. Dead people don't sin. Okay, you're giving me now this conundrum. How do I, ju- how do I then look at people who are in this situation that I've just described? The key is confession. The people who have walked this road no longer hold on to the belief that sin has no longer no power. Why? Because they refuse to confess. Your confession has power. Your confession brings forth the reality that sin no longer has its hold. Once you admit towards God and say, God, I am in this this struggle. I don't know about you, but there have been many times over my Christian walk where I get to the point where I am in an in upward battle all by myself. And it is so easy to walk this road to say, well, I'm just going to give it a little bit of you know, feedback. I'm going to give it a little bit of seed. I'm going to give it a little bit of water. I'm going to give it a little bit of food. And I'm going to walk through this. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. I have to then jump this 
proverbial valley that says, I now am living contrary to what I believe. I'm now realizing that my effects of my choices, of what I've done, of what I've believed, I've now compromised it on the inside. I now realize it's now going to affect everybody on the outside. The only way I'm going to get through that is by getting back to confessing before God who has given the power over sin. Sorry for yelling. I'm not sorry. Confession is something that allows the Spirit of God and repentance to bring forth good fruit. It's what Jesus, what they said about John the Baptist, that the axe is at the root of the tree. He was going to bring the axe to the root of the tree. Jesus was. He was going to get rid of the, the roots and all of the stuff, all of the stuff that's dwelling underneath and bring it to light and bring forgiveness and wholeness and restoration. I implore you as your pastor, Don't ever let it come to another service where the pastor's wife has to implore you to repent, to confess, in order to see the move of God that needs to take place in and through your life. That confession should be done daily. I have to literally, I do it. Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me in order to be the man that you called me to be, to be the pastor that I need to be, to be the city counselor that I need to be, so that I can be the husband that I need to be, that I can be the father that I need to be, that I can be the grandfather that I need to be. Because I have an inheritance. I want all that I can from you. But I don't want to stand in the way. I, I, I'm honestly, this is, <laughs> I'm not saying that everybody's down in the dumps and ready for death and hell and the, all that stuff. I'm just saying, I don't want, to, I don't want anyone over here. I, I don't want anyone over here. I don't. I will still love you when you're over there. Jesus still loves you when you're over there. But why go over there if you don't have to? Why flirt with it here? Why give it some room to move in your life? Why? some we recognize it for some we don't but God will allow will bring it to your attention so that what you can confess it there's some scripture passages that they're part of the Romans road of salvation but 
there are things that I learned way, way long time ago when I was younger than my grand, or about my grandson's age, when I was four years old, I went to Wee College, and there were scripture passages that my mother taught me when I was young. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, There are so many powerful passages that tell us of the victory that Jesus has given us and we, we don't have to wallow in the mud. We don't have to give it a place. When we read Romans 6, we're thinking, well, that just means that, you know, it's a... A heaven zone that is not even realistic. Yes, it is. Because he's given you provision to get in it. So what do we do? Um, in the meantime, remember, we always go to uh, a getting in the ring. Have you confessed your sin before God? Out loud? or maybe in a journal. What is sin? Well, the Bible clearly tells us that those good things that we are supposed to do and we don't do is sin. It's in James. Romans says that anything that's not done of faith is sin. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you have been given a identity of being sinless people because of the great grace that God has given. But grace does not give you the license to live the way you want. Because somehow you've got life insurance. The great grace that has been given is the great motivation that says, I want more. And I, I am so pleased with the love that you have given to me that I will come under submission and bring my life into alignment with what and who you are, God. Remember, I started off by saying, if grace is so great, do we continue the life of sin? The writer of Romans says, no. Have you taken time in your personal, here's the second question of the getting into the ring, have you taken time to let the Holy Spirit draw attention to compromises? 
You know what I find is it's so much easier to look at someone else's compromises. And if you're married, that's even doubly true. Don't everybody say amen because your spouse may be sitting right beside you. third question is have you possessed this inner work with a believing friend who will not lose sight of Christ's identity have you processed have you processed what's happening in you with a believing friend who will not lose sight of Christ's identity in you and when was the last time you admitted and believed that you were wrong. You don't have to all, you know, say it once. You married him this morning. For me, it was last night, yeah. Church, why does this table, if I can get, thank you, Dimitri. And Romans 6 goes on to say that sin is a dethroned monarch. If you get a chance, I, I invite you to, to buy the Passion Translation and read it devotionally. Because this is so, I, I, I love how he puts things. Sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. Controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So then, refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. Think about that. You are to be one that has experienced resurrection life. Uh, think of it for just a moment and allow it to run through your head. You're dead. You're dead, dead, dead. And all of a sudden, you come to life. How many of us would check our phones after that? <laughs> Go look at the new car we just bought. Or walk back to work and say, eh, I just, 
I just raised from the dead. There'd be a different perspective of life, don't you think? You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by the law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. So what are we to do then? Should we sin to our heart's content since there is no law to condemn us any longer? What a terrible thought. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully. For you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master. And it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. And God is pleased with you. For in the past you were servants of sin, but now your obedience is heart deep and your life is being molded by truth through the teaching you are devoted to and now you celebrate your freedom from your former master sin you've left its bondage and now god's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servants So tell me, what benefit ensued from doing the things that you're now ashamed of? It left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. You are brought deeper into experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. For sin's meager wages is death, but God's lavish gift is life eternal, founding your union with the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. So I'm asking you, imploring you, and to entreat you to take this part of life seriously and don't let sin have a measure of control. Confess that. 
Bring it before the Savior. Repent. Say, God, I am confessed that this is wrong. You may not have read it in the Bible, but in your heart you know it's wrong. You deal with it. You bring that. You, you may not have done it, but inside there is something that's not sitting well. So you go, Lord, there is something in me that is not sitting right. I confess it before you. I don't understand why I'm struggling with healing, let's say. I don't see people healed, yet I'm believing that you're, that you're a God that heals. I'm struggling with the thoughts of unbelief. Lord, help my unbelief. I confess that before you. Lord, forgive me of my unbelief. That is good Christianity, and that is good Christian living, and that is maturity. It's when we get to the let it side and go to this side that it becomes a whole nother monster. Now you're going to say, well, what do I do if I'm over here? The same thing you did that I'm telling you to do over there. The fact is, is that this one gets a little bit more messy because it's no longer just you. You've now affected others. And so there might be some messes along the way that have to be cleaned up. God's going to call you to repent not only of your sin, but the messes you've made and the people that you've affected. But it's doable. It's still worth it to go over there rather than to live here. Now the next question is, what if you know someone over here? Church, we don't ever give up on people on this side. You don't ever give up on people on this side. Because the nasty thing about this side is the fruit of it is death. And just like the prodigal who came to the end of himself in a pigsty, will bring this person to repentance. The point is, is that we pray. We pray believing of the same God that's here will bring healing over here. And that will cause them to come into the confession of their faith because they did believe it. They did understand it. They do know it. It is in their DNA. It's a part of what they are. Sure, you can get mad. Sure, you can get upset. But the fact is, is that God still isn't finished with them. And what the enemy meant for harm, God always brings about victory and healing. And believe me, if you talk to these people once they've gone through all of this and they come back to their right mind, they will tell you that they never wanted to go there in the first place. 
but they are in turmoil, they are in situations in their own mind, in their own thinking, and they have to get the blindness, the things that the enemy has placed over, their, over the lenses of their lives, over the lenses of their heart, and they have to come to the realization that those things do not exist and have no power. We as the people of God have a right to claim them for himself. That that which they believed, they will come to know in a greater way. Because this has not ever lost its power. Going around the mountain again? Confess it. You're going through the situation? Confess it. Repent of it. Get the axe to the root of the tree. Bring that sucker down. And guess what? When that sucker comes down, there's a whole new life that's waiting in the midst to receive, to experience, to know. I think even Jesus did it in his parable. Who did the, who does, which one did, was forgiven more? Do you remember the parable? Who was forgiven more? Someone who said they asked forgiveness and kept doing what they're doing, or the one who didn't and came into the forgiveness of God. <laughs> 